What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of Big Digital Energy. I'm here with my co-host, Chuck. Chuck, what's going on, my man? Uh, I'm still pissed off about the Cowboy game yesterday. You know what? That was miserable. I haven't watched a single down of football since Tony Romo retired. And seeing all the tweets online about disappointment of the Dallas Cowboys reminded me of how nice my life is now that I don't have to <laughs> correlate my happiness with digital or with uh, Dallas Cowboys success. So I, uh, I have sympathy for you, but I'm also happy that I'm not in your shoes. It is amazing. You make a decision when you're seven years old and it affects your <laughs> life until you're 53. <laughs> so. All right. So we got a lot of uh, news and energy this week. Let's get into our first story here. All right, we had some mineral mergers mania. I let Chuck come up with the titles for the stories. On it's been on point so far. It's always Thank good. Uh, and by the way, to the audience, we used to not be able to see or hear the videos, but Tim's fixed it up. So when we're in, when we're in here, we can hear the music. Gets me going. <laughs> I kind of like it. So this week. Desert Peak Minerals and Falcon Minerals in an almost $2 billion deal combined the companies. They'll own more than 139,000 net royalty acres and expected production of 14,000 barrels of oil per day. Desert Peak will own 73%. Falcon will own 27%. I thought this was a pretty interesting deal, Chuck. I know that you have some thoughts and opinions on it. What does it mean in the uh, grand scheme of things? Well, it's interesting because let's step back. So Desert Peak, backed by Kimmeridge, files to go public. They do the whole road show. I've heard, you know, the range on the cover of the S1 was 20 to 23. I heard the bankers had actually recommended like 16 to 18 or 17 to 19. So anyway, they go out, they do the full road show. They have the pricing meeting for the IPO. And this is the phone call where basically at the close of business one day and they're, they're like 10 minute calls, right? Hey, we have a book together at X price, you know, there's a little bit of haggling back and forth, but at the end of the day, you know, you, you agree to the price and boom, your IPO happens. Well, I heard the way this uh, pricing call went down is UBS came in and said, we've got a book together, can do it at $19 a share. Sorry, it's uh, below the range, but, you know, we kind of told you it was going to be 17 to 19. And Kimmeridge said no. And temper tempers flared is what <laughs> I heard, maybe the nice way to put it. And so anyway, so the IPO didn't get done. That was kind of the first part of uh, November of last year so. To some degree, Desert Peak has been going, you know, what do I do next? They had levered up a little bit into the IPO, so it's not like they could just cruise on autopilot for a while. And so, you know, Falcon Minerals had run off their CEO and had replaced uh, the CEO this summer with the CFO. So Brian Gunderson, who I've never met. CEO tenure of six months. So come on, Chuck Yates needs a job. We can talk about Brian needing a job too. <laughs> we'll, we'll do that. But this was really kind of uh, maybe it's maybe we call it the save face marriage, if you will, instead of oh, a, shotgun a shotgun shotgun wedding segment. Yeah, that would have been a perfect. No, it it really was. So, so you know, ultimately, 
you know, Desert Peak, they wanted a higher price. Uh, they thought that they had a higher market cap uh, valuation than what the market actually demanded, and they weren't really particularly thrilled about that and had to figure out what their next move was. And yeah, so they wind up becoming public, you know, because Falcon was a publicly traded company. Um, I haven't worked through all the math yet to know whether they got that higher valuation, but I think what the market told them on the roadshow was, hey, why do we need another Permian Minerals company? We've got Viper, et cetera, Brigham, et cetera, out there. And then number two, they also said, you know, your growth rates that you're touting, whether that was, you know, 25, 30%, just way too high. I mean, the whole Permian Basin is not going to grow that much. And so the valuation was What do you valuation. think about that? I mean, you know, with us coming off the bottom and energy um, stocks just ripping, I mean, do you think that's a fair assessment? I mean, back in you know, November and in, in the fall of 2021, I guess that could have been true. But do you think that that's the case now? Well, valuation ripped, but at the end of the day, minerals are guided by activity, right? And so the rig rate's been steadily rising, but it has not gone crazy rising. And yeah. so your, your growth is actually pretty easy to predict because it's, all right, how many rigs you got running on your, uh, on your acreage? And people can figure that out from public information. So uh, every time I have done anything market related, in hindsight, the market was always right and I was always wrong. <laughs> but, you know, to their credit, Kimridge got a deal done. They've got a publicly traded stock. You know, it's actually got more scale. It's bigger. So, you know, maybe this was step one and two. They were going to go public. They were going to merge with someone. So they did it all at once. Yeah, that makes sense. So... Let's go. Uh, let's go over to tech because we got some interesting things happening in the tech yeah. industry this week. By the way, I really like the song on this video. So get <laughs> ready to dance. My uh, my face over Steve Ballmer's uh, body is just something I don't aspire to <laughs> become. And dancing, <laughs> yeah, and dancing, dancing. Maybe maybe on par for dancing. But so, Colin, we have Microsoft buying Activision for almost seventy billion dollars. This adds Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, and Candy Crush to Xbox and Minecraft and Doom. And it's going to make Microsoft the third largest gaming company behind China's Tencent Holdings and Japan's Sony Group. It's kind of wild. Yeah, it's really wild. And there's a way that we tie this back to the energy industry here in a few minutes. But I wanted to get some stats on uh, Microsoft's acquisitions um, historically. So they acquired LinkedIn for $26 billion, Nuance Communications for $20 billion, GitHub for seven and a half billion, Zenimax for seven and a half billion, and now Activision seventy billion dollars, all cash. So Microsoft has just been going on a rampage of acquisitions over, you know, call it the last decade or so. And you know, the way that this really um, plays into energy is you have a you know, we have a race going on for the metaverse, and so you have Facebook, formerly Facebook, now known as Meta. And their push into the metaverse. And, you know, I was telling you, Chuck, before this show, 
we bought my kid a Oculus for Christmas and the technology has come such a long ways and it's unbelievable. And so now you start to see Microsoft starting to bolster up their platform for the metaverse, which gaming is a huge component of that. And so it makes perfect sense that they're acquiring Activision. What I think is interesting though, is, you know, you always hear all of these complaints on Bitcoin mining and its energy usage, but no one ever questions the energy usage of the Xbox Live Network. And you can go look up the stats. I mean, Xbox, uh, when they're in standby mode, I mean, they consume a ton of electricity and power. And the metaverse is only going to 10x that, right? I mean, it's just crazy. You know, I'm playing uh, ping pong with little frack slap out there. Give him a shout out, make him feel good. But we're playing <laughs> ping pong, and it's crazy how it feels like a real game of ping pong. And you just think about, you know, the bandwidth and latency that goes into that, and to have like a real physical game of ping pong. And now you start extrapolating that. I mean, you think 10, 15, 20 years from now, like Call of Duty made by Activision, if we're playing that in the metaverse and like it's a real first person shooter game, and you know, you're running around and like, you know, you're physically doing the things, think about how much energy that's going to consume and take and it's only going to add to demand which you know all of these forecasts that we have for energy demand like they don't take shit like that into so, consideration so let's look out 15 years is going to tahiti being on the boat cruising around the islands in the metaverse does it replace that with people or is it additive no, I mean, anyone that thinks that Metaverse replaces real life human experiences, I mean, that's there's a lot of people that think that, but that's not how it is. Web3 is digital and in real life elements combined. But like, I'll tell you, like, there's this one setting in the Oculus. It's fucking amazing. Like, you go out there and it's like a cliff and it's got like beach views and sunset and there's a couch there. And I'm like, man, that couch looks really comfortable. Like, I wish I could sit on that. And, you know, I can't go sit on it, obviously. But that's how real the settings seem that it's like a good experience. So it's an addition. Um, it's not like, you know, the metaverse is going to replace real life. Like, that's foolish to think that. You know, that's possible, but um, it's it's a real thing. And meetings are going to happen there, you know, with the rise of remote work. I mean, it's already happening. Like, why would I not, you know, if I have Tim over here and we're in two different states, why would we not hop on a game of ping pong and sit there and brainstorm and talk to each other over a game of ping pong? Just like we do, we have a real ping pong table over there in the office and you can replicate that in the metaverse. So I'm bullish on it. And I think that you're going to keep seeing acquisitions like this, but with every acquisition like this and every um, ounce of effort that goes towards the metaverse, it has to be powered somehow. And it's just going to keep increasing energy demand. So I think that that's really, you know, something to look at for the energy industry. And when you're looking at projections of um, the, the energy demand and the energy mix that powers that, like this has to be taken into consideration. You are correct. It's going to be additive um, as opposed to replacing. Agree with you that. And I don't mean to get all racy here for just a second, but truly, we've talked about this on the podcast before. There was a great first Boston research report in the late 90s that talked about a lot of technologies driven by sex. I mean, a lot of the reason why we have VHS beating out Betamax is because the porn industry adopted VHS. And so being able to get porn cheaper 
and without having to go into a store, et cetera, has driven a lot of this. You're reading articles now in mainstream publications that talk about sexual experiences in the metaverse, and that's only going to drive more demand. Yeah, I had this uh, funny comment as well from Twitter that I wanted to read out. So if you don't know, Activision was currently going through some uh, sexual assault uh, accusations within the company. I think they ended up firing around 30 people um, that were tied to that. And I saw this uh, parody um, comment on Twitter that said, at Sony, we wanted to make a very strong and principled stance against employee harassment, which is why 30 minutes ago we decided to never work with Activision Blizzard again. <laughs> and I thought this was funny because it brought up a really good point of – you know, Microsoft, obviously a competitor to Sony and PlayStation. And now, you know, Sony PlayStation has these games that are produced by Activision that are really popular on their console and their platform. And now it's owned by their competitor. So how do you how do you treat those things? But anyways, I thought that comment was really funny. And then one thing I wanted to share, too, on this topic uh, of energy consumption and powering servers and Bitcoin was that uh, AntMiner, this is my nerd coming out here, but Bitmain, Antminer, S19, um, Hydro came out. And so if you look here, this is an S19 Bitcoin miner and it is water cooled. And this thing is an absolute monster, um, surpasses its predecessor by 41%, does 198 terahash per second, which is just wild. And the reason that this is important in uh, terms of energy is because if you look at, you made a comment earlier about, you know, wherever we drill for oil and gas, it's usually really hot it's either really hot or really cold. cold it's extreme conditions it's never like, a garden site you, you don't drill for oil in places that are nice and beautiful um but out in west texas you know the challenge with bitcoin mining has always been how do you cool it and you have two options you have air cooling or you have liquid immersion cooling liquid immersion cooling is expensive it's complex air cooling usually does the job but out in west texas you have problems with dust and things of that nature and so with Ant miners S19 hydros coming out where they can be water cooled that can solve the problem of um, being able to mine out in these extreme temperature environments that you usually see in the oil fields. So, yeah, I mean, just run along the equator every place we have oil and gas and stranded natural gas. You're right. I mean, it's hot as all get out. Libya, tick on down the list, all the Middle it's East. Anywhere, man. There's so. nowhere nice. So, yeah. <laughs> speaking of hot, energy's on fire. Let's get into that story. Jesus, that uh, that that face. Your face on Tom Hanks. <laughs> I love that. So, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is really capital flows flowing from tech to energy. And uh, I saw a tweet that said, no one's going to be more insufferable than energy pools. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> I think we kind of deserved it over the last decade or so. But let's take a look at what we have. You know, XOP is up 16% year to date. Crude's up 18%. Hedge funds have gone long. Uh, 500,000 contracts in crude equates, equates to equates. half. Equates. Equates. I'm making up my own words here. <laughs> equates to half a billion barrels. So, Overall, you're seeing a lot of bullish sentiment. And it's so funny because if you go back, you know, months, two months ago, it's, a, you know, Biden uh, releasing oil from the SPR, from Omicron coming in and crushing demand. You know, everyone's 
getting a little bearish and now we're just ripping off the bottom. What so do you think? What do you two, think? Two things on this. One, all that releasing the SPR, Omicron and stuff that kind of led to some flattish type performance November and December, that was tax selling. That was hedge funds locking in their gains as well because energy had just been on fire last year. So it's like, November, you sell, you lock in the gains, you actually pay carry because no one's paid carry in energy for 10 or 11 years. Yeah. And then what happens the day after the uh, new year starts, you buy back in. So so that's one thing going on. I hate to do this because I'm not one to usually do this. But I got to admit when I'm wrong. I'm never in doubt, but uh, <laughs> I may have been wrong on this because last week we were talking about this and I said at two and a half percent of the S&P 500, we don't matter. So capital's not coming back, right? That's yes. that's kind of what I said. I said, great, stocks have done well. When Pickering was on the podcast in kind of the middle of last year, he said, hey, stock prices go up. That's how you attract investors back. I'm like, nah, Dan, there's not going to be any, any volume to that. Here's what I heard last week that I think makes a lot of sense to me. Yes, we are 2.5% of the S&P 500. If you look at a value index, so not a tech, not a tech guy, but more a value investor, you see that we're kind of seven to eight percent of that. And I was talking to a well-regarded research analyst last week who says he's been getting, you know, for the last call it month, a lot of phone calls from generalist type investors talking about energy and the like. And we're seeing this just massive movement from technology into value investing. So if you make that step, we're no longer two and a half percent of the S&P 500. We're more seven or eight percent. And then a lot of the value investors that this guy's talking to because capital discipline, low multiples, paying a distribution, they're pushing energy to kind of 10, 11 percent of their portfolios. When we're 10 and 11 percent of portfolios, we matter. So people have to come in and buy. You'll see it start with Pioneer and Diamondback and the large guys. You'll see, and that's why those multiples are higher today. You'll see it trickle down into the mid cap and the small cap. And the question will be one of two things. Is it a trade that once the valuations come up, value investors rip the Band-Aid and, and leave energy? Or does the demand stay so great that folks can actually do equity offerings? So that's going to be the, the interesting thing to see. And that's actually a believable pathway for the industry getting capital back that I didn't appreciate as late as a week ago. Yeah, it's funny how things or how fast things can change, right? I want to read this comment real quick from GW Goldman. He's adding some insight here, but he said Virgins Unite should be the name for this show. And I had it posted up there for a while while you were talking all during it. Yeah, I posted it too while you were talking. I thought it was a good comment. I think that is a... Maybe next week we'll introduce the show. Or not next week because we may have uh, Mark substitute in for you. But next week when you're back, we'll uh, <laughs> for... rename the show Virgins Unite. So what's our what's our next story to get us around to next, next story. Let's, um, let's do this.
Martin Luther King uh, with rock backdrop is pretty hardcore. I like that. I liked it too. Well, and you know, it's a serious point I want to make right here. And Tim's sitting in the back going, I'm so glad you didn't reface your face (laughs) or Colin's face on Martin Luther King. And I agree wholeheartedly. (laughs) But uh, no, I talked about this yesterday. Yesterday was obviously MLK day. I talked about this on social media. I think every American ought to read letter from a Birmingham jail and you can read it for yourself. It's an amazing piece of work. I mean, just in the context of the sixties, the civil rights movement, it speaks for itself. So I'm not going to opine on that. The thing I found really interesting is the backdrop of the story. He's in jail in Birmingham and he writes this letter literally in the margin of newspapers. Cause that's the only paper he has. He's not given pen and paper. So he scratches it out. He's sneaking it out every chance he gets to talk to his lawyer. Finally, they allow him a pad, a legal pad and, and a pen, and he finishes the letter. But back at kind of his headquarters, they're having to piece this together because it's smuggled out in, in little bits. And I mean, just can you fathom today not being able to write a letter in jail and give it to somebody? But yeah. that's what he was going through. And that's crazy. I've never, uh, I've never heard of that. So I'll have yeah. to pick that up and read it. So anyway, but uh, that's the that's the take for everybody out there watching that. It's six pages. Go read letter from a Birmingham jail. It's really, uh, really pretty amazing. That's awesome. I hate how we always follow up our last segment, finger of the week, after something that's <laughs> something important issue. Let's we'll we'll talk about MLK now. Finger of the week. Let's right. get into it. All right, the Northeast, the whole Northeast getting finger of the week. I was going to single out a couple politicians. Chuck said no. The I entire ahead. Northeast is giving giving the finger of the week. So let's talk about why they're getting the finger of the week. There's this lady on Twitter who I've followed, and I really like her. Um, her name is slipping my mind right now, but she wrote this book uh, called, I believe it's called Shorting the Grid. And she's been sitting there posting these screenshots of the energy mix of the Northeast as they come into um, some uh, cold weather here. And renewables have just absolutely disappeared. Um, you know, the other day she posted a screenshot. Uh, solar was accounting for you know less than 1%. Waste natural gas was at 2%. And then just using a ton of heating oil, burning wood, and all these comments that I, I was seeing in the comment section from really, you know, there was kind of a big audience that was non-energy. So people are like, why, why is there an energy crunch when you have the Marcellus a hundred miles away, 200 miles away? And this goes back to, you know, some of our previous episodes where we we're talking about the uh, resistance to building pipelines to secure energy for the new England uh, area I mean, it's just absurd, right? It's absurd that we're having to import LNG from other countries. It's absurd that we're having to burn wood, which, by the way, the biggest scam right now is how they put the burning of wood and waste natural gas. They mark that up as renewables. It just to bolster biofuels, yeah, it's, I it's think. biomass or biofuels. And it's just the biggest fucking scam that there is. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that 
people up in the Northeast are kind of having a rude awakening of what their energy mix is looking like and what happens when you don't um, think about energy policy in a pragmatic manner. Well, and it's not just what their mix is. It's what the cost is, too. I mean, if you had natural gas pipelines hooked up to the Northeast, it'd be a lot cheaper than out there burning fuel oil. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. It's more so, efficient, it's cleaner burning, all that. So so hopefully uh, politicians and people up in the Northeast wake up soon and understand the problems that we have before it gets worse. Um, you know, it's interesting. This week on the... I'm not hopeful. That's why I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, this week uh, on the podcast that I'll drop tomorrow, I had Will Franklin on. He's with Lime Rock Partners, and he's actually running for the state house in Texas. And one of the things we talked about was there is not a person in Congress that is actually an, of an energy background. So Congress in Washington, D.C. is sitting there making decisions about energy and no one is sitting at the table that has an energy background to say, hey, guys, reliability actually matters or Hey guys, do we really want to burn wood? Because that's a pretty big carcinogenic. Yeah, I mean, you know? you're looking at large scale in DC, but even if you scale down to Texas, there's not a lot of Texas politicians that have backgrounds in energy. I mean, even go look at the Railroad Commission <laughs> <laughs> governs policy, you know, policy on oil and gas. Or you look at ERCOT, like yeah. there's not a lot of energy backgrounds within those two organizations. So, um, yeah, you know, I no, think, that, so I think kudos- that's a problem. Kudos to uh, Will for being able to actually taking the step to try to join the arena. Yeah. So we've got at least one voice there. He makes one other really good point of the podcast, and it's a good listen, is you need to have an energy person at the table helping that, as well as an energy person who has connections in energy who can bring in information to help make the decision. Because you don't know everything about energy. I don't know everything about energy, but we've got a network where if we were sitting at the table and somebody talked started talking about fuel oil burning we'd know an expert to go bring Call into the, the discussion absolutely. and and that's totally missing absolutely all right guys thanks for tuning in uh to this week's show we'll be back next week uh i don't think chuck's going to be here fortunately um we'll have <laughs> a great replacement we're going to keep it a surprise um but we'll be here 10:30 tuesday make sure you subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't done that Make sure you subscribe to our other podcast too, Oil and Gas Startups. Chuck Yates needs a job. Go leave us a review, both on those shows and the show.